Welcome to the Mac Emerge Podcast. My name is Teresa Chen, and with me I have Kevin Dong, Brendan Trotter, and Joanna Dida, and we'll be your podcast team. Our goal is to connect all the McMaster-affiliated emergency physicians so we all get to know each other a little better. We have so much great talent and expertise in this region. We want to highlight it into one regional podcast. Each podcast features one invited guest to speak about their expertise or interests. Additionally, we will feature external speakers who have delivered regional rounds at one of our teaching sites. And don't forget about the residents. We'll be featuring stories about our residents and what they've been up to as well. All right, are you ready? Let's get started with this month's episode. Okay, everyone. Hello and welcome to another segment of whatever happened to dot, dot, dot. Uh, So I'm here with um, one of my, I guess... One of my first mentors uh, from Macamerge, Dr. Josh Williams is here. Uh, and he is uh, a bit of a legend around these parts for one of the first APDs for our program and left us to go to Kelowna and has been um, recently appointed the program director of the Kelowna site and is one of our illustrious alumni. So Josh, will you say hi to everyone? Hello. And just to clarify, I'm pretty sure you were a mentor to me for most of the time I knew you, Teresa. I don't know about that, but um, I will. Uh, I, I will definitely say that uh, I think there's a lot of different things that you probably didn't realize you were doing that were really important uh, to role model for many of us, and we look very fondly of the time that we did have with you before you left us. Uh, not bitter, <laughs> um, but okay. So, so Josh, I do want to take us back to the beginning. You came to Mac Emerge in which year? Like when when you. 2002, 2002 to 2007. Mm-hmm. And so in 2002, you landed as that PGY1. And in 2007, you graduated. And at that point, you kind of started a staff. And where, where were you working at the time? I worked actually three different places initially. I was working full time at Hamilton Health Sciences, which at that time still included McMaster uh, in terms of working in the ED, as well as locoming at St. Joe's and locoming in Brampton as well. Okay. And so uh, navigating all that stuff, you kind of eventually decided that three jobs was not enough and you became our assistant program director, yes? <laughs> yes. Yeah. Uh, I think that was 2009. Yeah. Uh, I think they, the program had grown large enough that it kind of needed an extra set of hands. And so they created an assistant program director role. Yeah, I think it was 2000. Eight because that's maybe two thousand eight. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. You were my year, APD when year I walked or so in. So after I, mm-hmm. after I finished, yeah, yeah, cool. And so, tell me about that job, like that first job out of residency. Like, how how did it feel for you? Are we talking about like clinical job, or are we talking about um, assistant PD? Probably both, right? Um, take us back to those moments there. Yeah, clinically, uh, I was probably working too much, but at the same time, I don't. Uh, uh, I, I'm not unhappy about that. I think uh, I worked a lot clinically and it really in the first couple of years of my practice kind of really cemented uh, my practice. And it was fun. I mean, I was working with people I knew in a place I had trained for the most part. So it was actually a fairly easy transition to work. Uh, Brampton was a little bit different uh, in that I didn't know the people there quite as well. And also it was a little bit more terrifying at times, uh, being much more of a kind of community site at that at that time, even though it was like overrun with volume and acuity. It definitely had a more community feel than 
the hospitals in Hamilton where you felt very well supported. So yeah, I was uh, working hard, figuring out clinically how I was going to work in those first couple of years of practice. And then, yeah, I was lucky enough that um, in 2008, I guess, uh, they decided that uh, that um, it was time to have an extra set of hands, do some of the work with the program. And uh, I was approached to apply and I was more than happy to apply. And I luckily got the role. And it was kind of like the best of all worlds because essentially I kind of my portfolio within the program was kind of curriculum planning and a little bit of evaluations. Uh, but I really didn't have to deal with like a lot of the day-to-day minutia that the overall program director was was dealing with and kind of back and forth with the Royal College or back and forth with upper levels of administration that uh, I was peripherally aware of uh, and introduced to, but it wasn't my portfolio. So that was, that was nice. And so when it comes to it, um, what, what did you enjoy most about what it was that you were able to bring at that time? Like what, what, what made you step up in the end to, 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 I mean, you were invited, that was good. So someone tapped you on the shoulder, but um, what was, what, what was it that ended up, because you can get asked to do all sorts of stuff and many of us say no. Um, what, what intrigued you about this, uh, this job and what made you think that this was something you'd want to do? Uh, I mean, I, th- I think first, um, you know, there's, there's a very limited number of program director or assistant program director roles across the country. So just to be kind of considered to do something like that, I think was an honor, especially just being a year out of out of uh, into practice. It was something I kind of, I think had always naturally seen myself growing towards. And so it was an opportunity that I was like, I can't possibly turn this down. And um, I think like over the couple of years that I was in the role, probably the things that I loved the most were just the relationships that you form with the people involved in the program and the residents in the program. And that's translated to what I'm doing now as well in Kelowna, it's, it's a similar feeling. Um, you know, I often tell people who ask about the job, you know, what's your favorite part? And I honestly, it's actually my favorite part of all of my jobs is, is being a PD and the same thing went for being an assistant program director. Yeah, that's really inspiring. And, and it sounds like the APD job probably opened up your eyes that someday you might want to do a PD job. Yeah. Oh yeah, for sure. Um, it was a nice, it was a nice way to ease into it. And it just kind of confirmed, I think that that was the path that I wanted to take at some point in time. If, if the opportunity presented itself. Okay. Um, and lo and behold, it did. And so when did you become program director in Kelowna? I think I'm, uh, two and a half years into my mandate now. So I guess I'm actually about halfway through my first, um, my first mandate. Yeah. And how's it been? Um, is it different from being an APD? Is it similar? Well, it's, I mean, it's different and similar, actually. Um, the The way that the UBC power structure of the program is divided, there's there's sites. So actually, I'm still an associate program director, you know, with the, I still have kind of a reporting structure to an overall program director. Um, and uh, lovely enough, he actually takes uh, on the portfolios of some of the more kind of things that I'm less interested in, things like accreditation and um, dealing with the Royal College and uh, upper level postgraduate meetings and stuff like that, that actually I have kind of less interest in. So once again, I'm left with getting all of the, uh, you know, all the dessert without having to eat the meal. Uh, and so my role is kind of 
you know, more local and more focused with my group of residents here in Kelowna, which is awesome. Excellent. And so um, it sounds like it's a, it's a smallish program, right? It's, is it three or four people per year? It's usually two. The odd year we have three. So yeah, we have 11 residents based locally in Kelowna right now. That's nice. Uh, and and uh, what's what's it like in Kelowna? Is it what what would you say are some of the things that were surprising to you when you moved out there? What are some of the things that seemed very familiar? I think I mean I had kind of come out and locumed and stuff, so there wasn't anything too too surprising. I think you know, the biggest change for me was um, the you know, Kelowna, it's grown a lot in the last 10 years, but it's still, especially when I first started out here, it was very much a kind of big community hospital and it still retains some of the charm of that kind of feel. You know, there's a lot less learners here. We have some local med students and we have our, you know, the Emerge Residency Program and we have a family med residency program that's based here, but there's no other postgraduate program based in Kelowna. So, you know, we get lots of elective folks from both Vancouver and Calgary and Edmonton sometimes, but, you know, really in terms of like a core group of postgraduate uh, learners here, there's not that many, you know, there's, I don't know, 25 based in, in Kelowna. So it's, it's very different in that way. Yeah, that's very interesting. Um, and so it makes for a small town feel, I guess, for, for some of the, some of the uh, surrounding areas is still a referral center, but it's, it's, it's not as big and urban, I guess, as Vic, uh, Vancouver which is, you know, a pretty big city. Oh yeah, for sure. Like the, the feel both inside the hospital and out in the community is very different. You know, it's very small city. Mm -hmm. Excellent. Um, and so, I mean, you've done a lot since you left MacMerge. Any like lessons learned that you'd want other enterprising alumni? I know that at least one person might be headed your way and uh, out west. And uh, so, any, any pro tips for people that are like leaving, leaving the, the home shop, let's say, as they embark on their, uh, on their journeys into, into the wilds of Canada and other places. We have, we have people that are, a lot of our graduates actually are kind of like, I wouldn't call them metastasizing, but maybe that's, <laughs> they're spreading um, to different areas in Canada. And we're really proud that they're going to go and make their mark in, in the world. And any, any thoughts and suggestions on how to do that well? I kind of alluded to this, but I do think it is really great if you can to really solidify your, you know, like focus on solidifying what you are clinically in your first year or so of practice without overly committing to other projects, unless your dream opportunity comes up. But uh, I really look back and I'm thankful that I had like, you know, a couple of years where I really didn't do a lot apart from the APD thing and work clinically um, and work clinically a lot. And I think that really helped just kind of set a foundation for the rest of my clinical practice going forward. And I think like often, you know, when you finish residency, especially if you're starting in a new place, people are like, it's like fresh meat, right? They're like so happy to hand over portfolios and like, Hey, do you want to do this? Hey, do you want to do that? You want to be our CME director? Do you want to do, you know, and it's okay to say no, especially early, or to say, you know what, that's interesting, but I want to take six or 12 months and get my feet under me and see what it's like to be an emergency doctor, first and foremost, and be a good clinician. Um, you've got your whole, you know, hopefully 20, 30, 40 year career to, to find those other activities you want to do. But, you know, the core of what most of us do is be a clinician. And I think it's nice to be able to solidify that first. 
Yeah, I think getting your sea legs under you, as they say, um, is actually really important because everything is usually contingent on you having your clinical practice and be a great clinician first. I think it happens with all sorts of different things, whether you're interested in leadership or you're interested in, um, in being a great educator, you really do have to be a great clinician. And I think increasingly with our research colleagues, I think in order to convince your clinical colleagues to come along for the ride and do your forms and, you know, be a good research citizen, you also still have to work, you know, like really hard um, in order to be there for your group and your colleagues so that they'll want to support you when you want to go do cool stuff. And so whatever walk of life you're headed down, I think it's really a pro tip to be a really solid, good clinician that's hardworking and part of the group and being part of that citizenship or else um, everything else can fall apart, right? You can't expect to have people follow you, for instance, as a leader, either in, either in education or research or, or, or clinical when you've never shown up for them. So I think that that's like a really important kind of pro tip. So thanks. And it is, I mean, it's your foundation, right? Like you're probably going to have multiple roles and do a lot of other things in your career, but like the, the backbone of who you are is, is a clinician for most people. So it's important to make sure that you, you know, set that foundation. That makes sense. Thank you so much for your time. And uh, it's been lovely to catch up with you and excited to hopefully see you in the future, maybe at a real conference sometime and hang out on a patio or something. Yeah, looking forward to connecting and uh, seeing you out and about. Same here. It was nice to chat. Welcome to Residence Corner, where you will learn about some of the awesome work that our McMaster Emerge residents have been up to. Hi, everyone. Thank you for listening to this month's episode of the Mac Emerge podcast. I'm here today with Dr. Sarah Alabian, one of our third year emergency medicine residents. Uh, she recently won the Cape Resident Leadership Award, uh, which is an amazing honor uh, for her in our program. Um, and just a little bit of a description about the award. It's typically awarded to a resident in the FRCPC program who mentors, instructs, encourages, and advocates for residents. And this is definitely something that our guest has done for us during her time in the program. Historically, we've also had a couple of other residents from our program win the award, Dr. Blair Bigham and Dr. Kyla Kainers. Um, And today we'll get to hear about how Sara has been involved in several projects that led her to winning this award. So Sara, can you just introduce yourself? Sure. Uh, as you said, my name is Sarah. I am a third-year emergency medicine resident at McMaster and uh, psyched to be here. Thank you so much for joining us. Uh, we're so happy to have someone like you in our program who not only won the award, but did all the things that are required to, <laughs> oh, more I'm importantly, did all the things that are required to get to that point. Oh, I'm um, blushing. <laughs> <laughs> can you just share for us some of the projects that you've been involved in during your time in the program? Sure. Not sure if these are the things that ended up getting me nominated or winning that award. Uh, that's kind of up to the committee and all of the lovely people who nominated me. But some of the things that I have done that I am proud of include Earlier on in, let's say, PGY1, PGY2, I got involved with a group of friends who were thinking deeply about how to provide the best care and uh, patient-centered management for folks who present to the emergency department or other community care settings, uh, either incarcerated or detained by police. Um, So we put together a group of people, including physicians, nurses, residents, um, lawyers, 
and other people with experience as well as folks who have had previous experience being incarcerated or detained and put together a guideline. So we call it a zine, a self-published zine that went through the steps of how to think about and how to approach these people in terms of protecting their privacy, managing confidentiality, reducing harm, and thinking about next best steps uh, once they leave your care. And that has been circulated pretty widely, and we've ended up presenting that to multiple conferences, which has been really exciting and fulfilling. And I think people have used it clinically in their practice. Like multiple people have come to me afterwards and said that they read it and found it really useful and have applied it clinically. And uh, I'm really proud of that. So that's one thing that I've done. And then obviously uh, at McMaster, we're really proud of a group of residents who formed the IDEA Committee, which is the Inclusion, Diversity, Equity, and Advocacy Committee. And we have established like a longitudinal curriculum that looks at structural competencies for emergency medicine residents. So competencies when it comes to advocacy, anti-racism, thinking about gender bias in medicine, and multiple other facets that kind of enhance our education and uh, enhance the way that we approach patients and best provide them care. And I think that's been really well received. And uh, I've been helping sort of coordinate that committee and help advance that forward. And then I'd say the last thing that I have been doing, which I am proud of, is uh, I'm a member of the CAPE Anti-Racism and Anti-Colonialism Committee. So we put together a guideline on how to apply anti-racism and anti-colonialism principles in the emergency department at both a administrative level as well as a clinical level and educational level. Yeah, thanks for thanks for sharing those. Those are like very important things for anybody to be working on and have definitely made an impact in our program for sure. Um, and I think, you know, part of what CAPE realizes is that you are doing all these things as a resident um, and that's far above and beyond, I think, what most people would achieve in residency or expect to achieve in residency. So we really appreciate how you've started to work on these things so early in your career. The idea curriculum has made a big difference in our program. We have we have lectures and like interactive sessions pretty frequently um, and all of the other things for sure. Working with incarcerated patients definitely impacts our program significantly. So so we really appreciate that. And I think that, you know, you've made a huge impact with those things. I'm just curious for people who might be interested in getting involved with similar things. How did you go about getting involved in those things? Uh, did you just kind of start on your own or did you find a group that you could work with or how did that happen? Yeah, I think you would notice that all the things that I mentioned are collaborative. I think that's true for anybody who is involved in leadership. You're always working with other people and that's a big part of it is um, helping everyone kind of achieve the best product uh, or outcome. So when it came to, for example, doing this zine, it was just me and a few friends who had similar ideas of wanting to learn more about this patient population and realizing that we didn't actually have a good resource to turn to. And so we said, well, let's just make one on our own and then reached out and formed a collaborative group who were willing to work on this together. So that I think was just serendipitous that there was people I knew who were interested in the same thing as me and uh, happened to be motivated and this was a fairly low resource project. Like we just self-published a zine. We put together, like we made we made art and put it on a piece of paper and scanned that into a PDF and uploaded it onto the internet. Like it really wasn't much effort, but it did take a lot of 
consultation, collaboration, research, and reaching out to folks to review it and give us their feedback. For the idea committee, again, I think that was right time, right place. There was a group of us who, after the uh, murder of George Floyd and the BLM movement that resurged in the U.S. and Canada, a group of us came together and were thinking deeply about how, as emergency residents, this affects us quite tangibly, um, not just as clinicians, but also as individuals who live in a community and want to provide better care for that community. So we thought, well, why don't we incorporate this into our learning and create a proposal for our program that we think would enhance the program and benefit everybody. So this was a group of like, again, very motivated residents who came together, got ideas from other people, put it onto a piece of paper and presented it to our program. And thankfully our program is really supportive and wanted to implement it and gave us the support to do that. And now we have. So again, that was right time, right place. And also finding things that I am excited about and other people are excited about and just making it happen. And the Cape Committee stuff, I think there had been like a call out and an email that someone wanted to start this committee and everybody who was interested was welcome to participate. And I basically just put my hand up and said I would be happy to take on a a bigger role in this. And I just kept getting invited to meetings and nobody, nobody kicked me out. And then I ended up becoming one of like the second authors on a paper, which again, lots of people added to that work. I just happened to happen to put my hand up and say, I'd be happy to help a little bit more. Sounds like you need to give yourself a little bit more credit than the right time, <laughs> right, right place. It sounds like you have like a true passion for this kind of thing. And you kind of created opportunities for yourself and others. And then, you know, took those opportunities to the next level. So I, I, I applaud all of your effort for that. And just for the people listening, like this is a big change for our program. Like I've been in the program for four years now. And before the idea curriculum was implemented, we didn't have a lot of official uh, education about um, this type of material. And ever since then, we've had a noticeable increase in the amount of curriculum about about these populations. So it has made a very significant impact on our program, for sure. And I realize that, you know, it feels like a right time, right place, but you have to have the motivation to, to <laughs> kind of like convert that into something tangible. And you and the other residents involved 100% did that. So I really, we, like I said before, we really appreciate all of your effort with that. Do you think that you know, once you started doing the first projects, like the zine that you mentioned, that you kind of made more of a name for yourself and people reached out to you more for these types of projects? Or did you still have to kind of continue to just make your own path after that? A bit of both. I would say that after we started presenting the zine in different spaces, so in conferences and uh, on podcasts and that sort of thing, um, more and more people, st- we have a we have an email address for the zine website, and so more and more people started reaching out to the email address and asking us if they, if we had more resources, if we wanted to talk about something more. Um, so that became a way that I got in touch with more folks who are interested in this these types of projects. Uh, I also happened to grow my network of people who are interested in the same thing as me. Um, So folks in Toronto, folks in Calgary, who are also similarly interested in thinking about equity and diversity within emergency medicine. 
And then because it's a smaller group of people who have similar interests as it is with any kind of niche interest, then we all get to know one another and draw on one another for support for different projects. So that way I got asked to speak at a couple of different workshops and do teaching for uh, medical students in different settings. I think, yeah, my involvement has definitely increased my capacity to participate in various spaces and talk more about the things that I'm interested in. And people now reach out to me and I'm very happy to like give my email address and that sort of stuff and talk to med students and other people who want to learn more about this work and find ways to get involved for themselves. Okay. That's, that's really nice to hear. I think maybe some of the evidence for why you were chosen as the resident leader is starting to come out in, in some of those things that you're saying. Do you have just, I'm just wondering for any one interested in, do you have any suggested resources for people who want to get more information about equity and diversity, either in general or in emergency medicine um, specifically? We will link your uh, zine in the, in the description. Um, but if you have anything else, that would be helpful for us too. Yeah, thinking about resources for folks who want to read more about this, I would say for clinically oriented resources or thinking specifically about medicine and equity, the zine is definitely one very clinically oriented resource. Uh, Nanki Rai, who is a family physician in Toronto, had published a, again, self-published document online that looked at the roots of like colonialism and uh, the history of medical violence, which I thought was a very seminal piece of work. And I've referred to multiple times when thinking about my own learning and how to grow as a physician. There's multiple books that are published that are very interesting that people can link to to read and learn more about these topics specifically within medicine. If people are interested in different projects that are happening that they would like to get involved in or think a little bit more deeply about. I would say almost every emergency medicine program in Canada now is trying to implement an equity uh, and advocacy curriculum. And there's usually going to be like a lead of that uh, who has been involved. And there's different folks across Canada who you could reach out to who would be interested. I'm not sure if I want to name drop just in case I get overwhelmed by it, but I would definitely uh, reach out to your medical school, reach out to the program director or the chiefs of uh, local programs that you're interested in and ask them if they have projects or if they have resources that they give to people that you might be interested in reading about. And also last thing I would just say is the, uh, obviously like the CAPE guidelines that have been published. There's been quite a few now, including the one on anti-racism and anti-colonialism. There's one about LGBTQ health and uh, working with those populations in emergency medicine. And I think there's a gender one as well. Okay. That's, that's a great list. We'll try and uh, uh, list all of those things for, for the listeners to read um, in our show notes. You know, it's impossible to state how important all of those things are for us to be aware of. So I'd encourage everyone to to read as much as they can and try and get involved where they can as well. Yeah. Whoever is listening to this and thinking about, you know, advocacy and how to achieve like certain goals within their career in medicine, whether it's in emergency medicine or not. I think the things that I said before about finding a group of people who have similar interests as you, who are willing to work well with you. And I would say that like ice cream is a great motivator, a big number of my meetings where I have like encouraged people to do things or asked them to do things have involved me buying them ice cream and then being like, I think you also, if you could, you could do this little task for me, that'd be great. (laughs) 
ice cream has its ways. So. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. I don't know. I think everyone's doing really great work and it just depends on where you are and uh, how much, how much time you can put into it. Yeah. And we, like, seriously, thank you for putting all the time that you do into these things. Um, you made a, a very noticeable impact on myself and on our program. And I know that all of the residents in our program feel the same way. So regardless of, you know, this huge award that you've won, which is an, is an amazing honor. Um, you definitely have made an impact on the people that are around you. And we really thank you for that. That's very nice. Thanks, Spencer. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So thanks again for listening. Um, check out all of the resources that Sarah mentioned in the show notes, if you want to hear any information about uh, the things that we've talked about. And we look forward to having you again next month. And again, congratulations on your award. for tuning in to this episode of the Mac Emerge podcast. We hope that this brings you new information and helps you up your game so you can deliver better patient care to our region. Remember, we are always looking for new talent and expertise to feature in our podcast. So if you're interested, please feel free to contact us at our email at macemergepodcast at gmail.com. We're also looking to improve your experience, so please submit your feedback as well. Again, thanks for listening. Let's all stay connected. Back emerge out!